Our loving Father, which art in heaven, we want to thank you so much that you have taken care of us the way you have. You have brought um, all these people here from all different places, Father, to be here on this campus this weekend. And I want to thank you for the messages that are being presented and the, and the different classes that are going on right now. I just ask that your Holy Spirit will not only be in this room to guide and direct what is said and done here, but also will be in the other rooms to give the, the people that are there and the, that are giving the lectures, give them the words to say and exactly how to present the message. And let those that are listening, Father, get something that will help them grow spiritually. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, as you will see that the, the topic is going to be on the sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary is, a, is in a way, something that I got, and kind of got mixed up with back in the early 1990s. Um, just kind of give you guys a little update because I want to show you how important the sanctuary really is, okay? I mean, the sanctuary is so important that you should know for yourself how you can give the reason for what you believe through the sanctuary Christ is doing right now in the heavens above. You should not rest until you understand the topic for yourself. These are quotes, and I'll read some of them to you in a little while, but I just want to share with you that the sanctuary um, was just an idea, and just so you, just so you get an idea how it began, um, it was back in 1994 is when the sanctuary, um, the pastor that I was working with, set up just the furniture and he went out um, to um, the desert where there was a camporee, Pathfinder camporee. So there was about 3,000 Pathfinders um, gathered around the furniture that he had there. And he had a white rope where, they, where you see the curtain today. It was just a white rope. And the pastor was dressed up in the high priest garment and I was the sinner with the lamb and we went through the process what took place in the sanctuary. Pathfinder age young people sitting all out there were, were listening and paying attention to what was going on. So therefore, when I saw this, I said, wow, what power the sanctuary has over the young people. And that's when I decided that I would like to, to do a full-scale model of the sanctuary. So with the church there, we did a full-scale model. Now listen carefully to this because this will mean something to you today. When we set it up, we built it at Del Mar. When we set it up, it wasn't long, um, and people were just, just coming through. They were very interested in the sanctuary, but they were just basically interested in the historical part of the sanctuary. They wanted to see a full-scale model of the sanctuary. That's interesting to them. There wasn't a whole lot of other interest that we found um, when we were set it up. That was back in 1995, all right? I used it with the church for two and a half years, and we went to Washington, D.C., set up on the mall there in Washington, D.C., and then it wasn't long after that um, we took it to Fredericktown, um, uh, and then we basically, uh, actually, I got called away and moved to Oklahoma. And um, the sanctuary continued on with the church for a couple more years. Then it wasn't used for three years. It sat in the trailer. And I got wind of that, and I was at this school in Oklahoma. And I was asking the pastor that I was working with, um, I'd like to have the sanctuary so I can use it the way we intended for it to be used. And so the Lord worked it out, and this, several miracles took place to, to put it into my possession. And, um, and so when the, when the Lord worked it out, um, I set it up for the first time uh, about six years ago. 
the very first exhibit that I set the thing up, this pastor comes through the exhibit and he comes to me and he says, Clayton, I want to show you something. He takes me out to his car, unlocks his trunk of his car, and he pulls out this picture of the candlesticks and sets it beside his car. And he pulls out another picture of the altar of incense and sets it beside it. He starts pulling these big pictures out of his car. And he says, for the last three years, every Sunday for church, I've been setting them out there and I've been talking about the sanctuary. Well, that's very interesting to me because I happen to know that the sanctuary message was something that the Adventist church talks about and that's not something that's so commonly talked about in other churches. So this kind of excited me, the fact that somebody else was studying the sanctuary. And so what I did was this. Come on in. So what I did was this. Um, uh, as he talked to me, I, several other people actually came up to me and said the very same thing at that exhibit. I've been to 60 exhibits. And the very same thing's happening today. Everywhere I go, people are telling me, and I'll just tell you the most recent, we're in, we're in Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach, um, this exhibit um, was planned two years ago. They canceled it and postponed it to this year. And there was somebody else wanting these dates. They called the pastor and they were thinking about the possibility of switching dates. And they worked it out where the pastor says, no, we're gonna keep the dates that we have at Myrtle Beach. Come on in. And so what happened was this. Um, there at Myrtle Beach, this particular week is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the Feast of Tabernacles is the seventh feast that you find in the sanctuary. There are the seven feasts. The last one comes right after the Day of Atonement. Of course, we're living in the Day of Atonement today. So the Feast of Tabernacles is yet one to be celebrated in the future, okay? This fulfillment is yet to, be, to, be, to come into place. So here you have um, this particular exhibit fell exactly on the very days the Feast of Weeks are. Therefore, hundreds of people are coming to Myrtle Beach, and they are coming there because they want to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. I'm sorry, I keep saying the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles. They're coming to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and while we've been there, they, about two-thirds of the people that have come to the exhibit, has been, they've been coming because they've came because of the timing that we have there on Myrtle Beach. That's God's hand, by the way, because these people are traveling from all over the world, all over the United States, I should say, to this exhibit. And, and so, therefore, um, I can say this, that God designed us to be at Myrtle Beach at this very, very time. That's the way the sanctuary has been ever since we began. Um, and we've done 60 exhibits. We've been to Jamaica. We've been to Hawaii. We've been to Canada. We do about 10 or 12 a year. And the reason why I'm telling you this is very important because I want you to turn to your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10. Let's look at Revelation chapter 10. It's nothing like seeing prophecies unfold before your eyes. Is everybody there? If you look at um, verse, basically this is, this is the time where the little book, Daniel sees a little book in the angel's hand. Remember, this, remember this, this prophecy. And he says, go take that little book. And he says, it's going to be in your mouth. It's going to be sweet. But in the stomach, it's going to be what? It's going to be bitter. 
And so he goes up, and it says here in verse, verse 10, And I took the little book out of the angel's hands, and I ate it. And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. All right. We know that that was dealing with the disappointment in 1844. You see, there were people around the world that really thought Christ was coming in 1844. Let me, give you, let me just paint the scene for you real quickly here. There was no church called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. These were people that were made up from all the other churches. They were going around and different people around the world were proclaiming the very same thing at the very same time. Christ is coming in 1844. This was a cry that was heard. Everybody thought he was going to come. It was very exciting. They thought Christ was going to come in 1844. They believed it. They lived that way. They put everything upon. They sold their things. They closed their businesses. They thought Christ was coming in 1844, but he did not come. That's why it was bitter, because they expected him to come, and he didn't come, so therefore that made it bitter in their stomach. Now, the next verse, I want you to read the next verse with me, because this, I think, is prophecy that is now being fulfilled. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many people, nations, tongues, and kings. You see, at this point now, thou must prophesy again. So I, I just want you to remember what I just told you took place in the early 1800s. For 10 years, they were, they were prophesying that Christ was going to come in 1844. People really believed it. It was a movement in all the churches there, right? It was the big Advent movement, okay? That's exactly what I want to tell you is happening today. You see, before Christ moved from the holy into the most holy place, he wanted to make sure people knew he was moving from the holy into the most holy place. You see, we have it again today. We have it again happening again today. People are now studying the sanctuary in all the churches, no matter where I go, four pastors in the last exhibit I was at. Four pastors called the church and says, we have just finished studying the sanctuary, and now we're going to bring our church and come see the exhibit while you're here at Myrtle Beach. You see what I'm getting at? Everywhere I have gone, this has been the case. Homeschoolers come. They say, in our homeschool, we are teaching about the sanctuary. The sanctuary movement is getting larger and larger. Come on in. And it's getting to be a big swell again, like it was in the early 1800s. So what I'm trying to tell you today is this. The sanctuary message is a message that God is in moving. I can tell you this because I know the exhibit, the way it's been. You know, I have two sanctuaries now, two of them. And it's not anything because of what I've done. I'll give you a little hint. Uh, I'm just going to show you a couple, a couple of miracles so you can see what I'm talking about. You, I want you to see the importance of the sanctuary, okay? When we first began the ministry, we needed ourselves a 15-passenger van so that we could travel from place to place. I'm taking young people with me, right? And so I was talking to my wife about the, the van that we had. It was an old van. It had rust all over it. It was, transmission was going out. The air condition didn't work. And we were about ready to travel about 3,000 miles across the desert. And I was telling my wife as we were going off to sleep, I said, do you know that um, this, this van really doesn't represent God's ministry very well? We really need ourselves a new van to do this ministry that we're doing. Do you know that I went to sleep and the next morning I got up and I had a phone call? 
And when I answered the phone, somebody on the other line says this, you need yourself a 15-passenger van. Well, that's what I was talking about with my wife, right? And he says this, he says, I have just sold some property, and as soon as it passed escrow, I'm going to send you some money so you can get yourself a van. That's how we got the first van that we have in the sanctuary. These are the miracles that God has done. Because you know why? Imagine this with me. A, van, a vehicle is running down the freeway at 100 miles an hour. It has a rope dangling behind it. And you reach out and grab onto the rope. And you have a good hold of it. And what's going to happen to you? It's going to jerk you right along, isn't it? That's what's happening to me. It's not me running the ministry. The sanctuary, God has started to take control of it and the people around the world are studying it. And I'm going to read a couple of quotes to you that you need to know. Christ was the foundation of the Jewish economy. The whole system of types and symbols was a compacted prophecy of the gospel, a presentation in which are bound up the promises of redemption. That's Acts of the Apostles, verse, um, page 14. You see... The sanctuary, the sanctuary has symbols and types. It's a compacted prophecy. Okay? Now I'm going to read another one to you. The subject of the sanctuary was the key to unlock the mysteries of the disappointment in 1844. It opens to view a complete system of truth, connected and harmonious, showing that God's hand was directed in the Great Advent Movement and revealing present duty as it brought to light the position and work of his people. That's the great controversy. Now, there's a few more, but I'm going to read this one here because this one here I think you need to think very seriously about. Those who share the benefits of the Savior's mediation should permit nothing to interfere with their duty to perfect holiness in the fear of God. Okay, here you have, you have um, Jesus standing there in the most holy place. He's, he's mediating for us there. Okay, now if you want to share in that, you shouldn't let anything get in your way of preparing yourself. Let me finish reading this again. To interfere with their duty to perfect, perfect holiness in the fear of God. This goes on to say the precious hours, instead of being given to pleasure, to display or gain seeking, should be devoted to an earnest, prayerful study of the word of truth. Okay? This all sounds good so far, right? That's why we, we believe all this, right? Let me read the next part of it. The subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. All right? That's okay, right? You're okay with this, right, so far? The subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. But my question to you is this. Who are the people of God? Have you heard the Bible verse that says that Jesus says, Other sheep I have and where? Where do they say they have them? In other folds. Now what does that mean? They have other sheep in other folds. Anybody? What does it mean? Other churches. Other churches. Correct. So here we have a statement that, that Ellen White writes in The Great Controversy. She says this, The subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. So wouldn't it make sense that God would make sure those people in the other churches knew the sanctuary? So that's why I'm telling you the last 
three and a half to four and a half years, or actually five and a half now, I have been hearing that the other churches are studying the sanctuary. It makes sense because he's about ready to move again before he moved from the holy and the most holy. He let people know and everybody's attention was drawn to the sanctuary, the movement from the holy and the most holy. They thought this, the earth was going to be destroyed by fire and be cleansed, but it was him moving into the most holy place. And again, we have that same time period taking place now. The world is starting to study the sanctuary because we're about ready to make another move. He's about ready to move from the most holy place to get his people. And I'm going to read a couple more sentences in this one here. All need, now this is what we're talking about, the people of God. All need a knowledge for themselves. It doesn't matter what I know. It matters what you know, young man. It doesn't matter what I know. It matters what you know, young lady. It matters what we know. He says, it says here, all need a knowledge for themselves of the position and great, I'm sorry, the work of their great high priest. Well, that's all, that's all fine and good again, right? We know we have Christ as our high priest, right? But we ought to know ourselves for ourselves, what he is doing. Now, this is the part that I want you to listen carefully because I believe everyone here knows some of these things I'm referring to. I believe everyone here wants to do for God what he's asked them to do. But listen carefully. The subject of the sanctuary is what we this, this, verse is, this chapter is about. It says, All need a knowledge for themselves, the position and the work of their great high priest. Otherwise, it will be impossible. Okay. You see why this is so important? It's something that's going to be impossible. Otherwise, it will be impossible for something to happen. And listen to the rest of the sentence. For them to exercise the faith which is essential at this time, it will be impossible for them to exercise the faith that is essential for this time or to occupy the position which God designs them to fill. Do you know that each one of you have a position that God has designed you to fill? The subject of the sanctuary now becomes very important to you because it's impossible for you to do that without the knowledge of the sanctuary. Now, later today, when we talk, get further into this, you're going to hear some more information about how the sanctuary is so important connected with the present truth. And I believe that you will see as we go through today that the sanctuary should be your study. Every individual has a soul to lose or to save, meaning your own. All who have received the life upon these subjects are to bear testimony of the great truths which God has committed to them. The sanctuary in heaven is the very center of Christ's work in behalf of man. It concerns every soul living upon the earth. It opens to view the plan, plan of redemption, bringing us down to the very close of time and revealing the triumph, triumph issues of the constant... I'm sorry. I keep losing my place here. Revealing the triumphant issues of the contest between righteousness and sin. It is of, of utmost importance that all should thoroughly investigate these subjects and be able to give an answer to everyone that asks them a reason of the hope that is in them. Now, I'm going to read you another statement. This is found in um, Gospel Working. By the way, that was found in, um, in the Great Controversy. Okay? And um, this one here is found in the um, 
testimonies to, um, to gospels, gospel workers and ministers, okay? Now, there, if, if the subject of the sanctuary should be the one that we understand, if that's, the, if that's the subject that we need to know so we can fulfill the position that God has designed us to do, if that subject is the subject in which helps us have the faith that we need for such a time as this, if that subject's that important, who do you think would not want this subject to be heard? Satan, that's right. Now, I want to read you a statement about Satan. He's had counsel with his angels. Ellen White gives us one of these counsel meetings he has with his angels. He says, As the people of God approach the perils of the last days, Satan holds earnest consultation with his angels as to the most successful plan of overthrowing their faith. Remember, the faith is what we needed, right? He's trying to overthrow the faith. He sees that the popular churches are already lulled to sleep by the deceptive powers. By pleasing sophistries and lying wonders, he can continue to hold them under his control. Therefore, he directs his angels to lay their snares, especially for those who are looking for the second advent of Christ and endeavoring to keep all the commandments of God. Now listen to this other part right here. Says the great deceiver, We must watch those who are calling the attention of the people to the Sabbath of Jehovah. He goes on to say, They will lead many to see the claims of the law of God. He can't stop it. Goes on to say, and the same light that reveals the true Sabbath reveals also the ministration of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary and shows that the last work for man's salvation is now, go now going forward. Hold the minds of the people in darkness till that work is ended and we shall secure the world and the church also. Do you see the plan? His plan is to watch for those who are calling their attention to the commandments of God. Okay? He wants to trip them up. He wants to mess them up. He wants them not to even have anything to do with the sanctuary. Because the sanctuary tells people, do you know there's something beyond the cross? Do you realize most religions today will stop at the cross? And it's likely, and in some cases, we stop at the cross as well. Think it through. The cross was at the beginning of the service of the sanctuary. Most of you should be familiar with the sanctuary service. That's not what this, this is class is for, okay? The sanctuary service was designed where if you had sinned, you would bring your offering and you would come over to the north side where you would place the offering there and place your hand upon the head of the lamb. Then it would, the symbols would start to roll in. The sin they had was symbolically leave them and go to the lamb. Then they would kill the lamb and then at this point... The sinner would leave after doing some more work there with the priest. He would leave. Then the priest would go and the priest would take the, the blood and place it here and the offering here upon the altar of sacrifice, wash his hands and feet and move into the holy place. Now the lamb died on the north side. That's the cross. If you stop there, you don't have the rest of the things taking place in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is designed this away. Now, if you haven't seen it, you will. You see the sanctuary has a beginning point and it has an ending point dealing with time, okay? It's a time prophecy, okay? You will notice that as you move inside the sanctuary, you can follow the footprints of Christ as you move on through the sanctuary, right? We'll talk about that in the next lesson. But what I want to share with you at this point is if you stop at the cross you forget the rest of what's taking place. So what Christ is doing in the holy place didn't matter. And so what he did when he moved in the most holy place and doing today doesn't really matter because that's, we stopped at the cross. 
Now let's, let's examine that. What Christ did at the cross is equally important as what Christ did at the cross is also what he is doing in the heavenly sanctuary above, in the holy place. Is equally important. The cross, by the way, was very important. You cannot, you cannot say the cross was not important. If Christ would not have died on the cross, none of us would ever have an opportunity of eternal life. So that's very important, right? But the work he's doing in the heavenly sanctuary is, is as equally important as that. You see that? Yes. You needed a priest to get the blood, the sin, into the sanctuary. That's right. The priest is the one that, that ministered in the sanctuary because the sanctuary itself was the symbol where heaven was. It's a symbol of heaven. And so the priests on this earth, they represented Christ. And as they ministered in one of the most holy places, the priest would carry the sin in the form of the blood and record it there in the sanctuary. Thank you very much for that. Now, we have to go beyond the cross. We can't stay at the cross in our experience either. You know that we could be that way as well? Easily we could be that way. By not listening to the Holy Spirit as we travel into the sanctuary and our experience with God. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next session. Anyways, let's move to the next point here I had to share with you. There are two statements that I think are similar. One you find in Exodus 25.8. Okay? Okay. What does it say in Exodus 25.8? Anybody know? By memory. Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. That's a common, that's a very popular verse. Okay? There's another popular verse you find, and you find that it's in Psalm 77.13. Now, Psalm 77.13 says this, Thy way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. Now, I'm going to take you down to the New Testament, okay? Now, you have in the New Testament, you have Jesus talking to his disciples, okay? He's just, he's about ready to leave. And he tells them, I'm going to go to my father, and when I go there, you, you know where I'm going, and you know the way. Well, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus looks at him, and he says this. He says, I am the way, right? This is John 14, 6, right? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Do you know that's the New Testament verse for Psalm 77, 13? Psalm 77, 13 says this, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Okay, God's way is in the sanctuary. Here you have another verse that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you would examine the sanctuary, you're going to find there are three entrances to another room. This one here is the gate. This is the entrance in from the gate as you go into the courtyard. That's the way in. He says, I am the way. Okay, then you have another door here, and it's, an, it's another door before you move into the next room. In the next room, as soon as you come inside the next room, you find the place where God has the bread, right? And bread is a symbol, right? Symbol of the body, the body of Christ, but it's also a symbol of what? The Word of God. Thank you. So here you have the Word, right? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. This is the next door you go through. The door of truth is where you, I am also what? life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the next one is the veil as you move into the most holy place. And that's where we will have eternal life. Remember, I'm going to have to share this thought with you so you can get the idea. When God created Adam and Eve, 
they were created in such a way, they were in his image and his likeness, right? So Adam and Eve was created in his image and likeness. You find this in, in Genesis and in, in his likeness. And you find this, that when they sinned, they lost something, did they not? Immediately when they sinned, what did they realize they lost? Their clothes, that's right. Now watch for a symbol here, okay? They lost their clothes, okay? So immediately they found they were naked, so they had a problem, right? They needed to fix it. So they grabbed fig leaves and they fixed the problem. No, it didn't fix the problem because they lost something special. It was God's character. And what they tried to fix, they could not fix. Look at what Christ, um, the, what we find in the, what happened in the Garden of Eden. They, take, they, they are given from God the clothes of an animal, right? Now let's think this through. They had God's character and they were in God's likeness. When they sinned, they lost God's character. And so they tried to fix it themselves. They couldn't fix it. So then what do they do? God gives them the skins of an animal. Well, we find there's an animal that represents Christ, don't we? Which animal is that? The lamb. Isn't it interesting they take the skins of an animal? The lamb has its, its covering, right? That's the symbol of its character. He takes that character which represents Christ. Now he puts it upon Adam and Eve. And he says, I will fix it again. I'm going to give you my son's character again. You see, in that illustration, from the very beginning, God opened up our eyes that there was something that he was going to do for mankind, and they couldn't do a thing. So it's very interesting, to understand, very important, I should say, to understand this. You cannot fix the problem. Here's another example. Moses is on Mount Sinai. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He takes and he writes it and um, God writes it in stone, right? And he gives it to Moses. Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and down there they're, they're dancing around a golden calf. And immediately, what does Moses do to those commandments? He throws them down and breaks them on the ground, right? So here you have the, the commandments are broken. Now, let's examine this for just a second. This is another illustration of what God is going to do. You see, when he broke the Ten Commandments... When they broke it, that was God's character again. And you're going to see in a moment. When Moses is told by God, I want you to, to go get some more stones. So, so Moses hewed out the stones like God told him. And Moses takes that second set of stones back up to where God was, and he rewrote it. Now remember, the Ten Commandments, you find it in Exodus chapter 20. And so Moses knew the Ten Commandments. God spoke it from Mount Sinai when they first got to Mount Sinai, right? He spoke it to them. So the Ten Commandments, they knew the Ten Commandments. God inspired and made holy men of old to be able to, um, um, to make the, 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 the sanctuary. God gave them blessings. Men were inspired to write the Bible. What I'm trying to say is God could have told Moses, chisel out the stones again. But this is another illustration. You cannot do that. That is what was lost, was what was placed in our hearts. What was lost was God's law. God is going to have to put it back there again. He says, bring me up your stony heart, and I will rewrite my law upon your heart again. Now let me give you another illustration. This is the New Testament. New Testament. You have the, um, the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. And um, he asked Jesus, and by the way, this question is asked a lot. In fact, we may be asking it ourselves. What must we do to be saved? You ever thought about it? We want to do something to fix the problem, but we can't. But here the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, well, 
what, they talk about the, the law, right? Rich young ruler says, I have been doing that from my youth up. So here you have a young man that's in the church that has been taking the laws of God and he's been living by them. And then Jesus looks at him, well, sell what you have and give to the poor. Well, we think about, well, he was just wealthy and that's the end of it. The Bible mentions that, right? Let me explain something to you. When you keep the law yourself, it's not a part of who you are. It's not a part of you. See, when God writes it in your heart, it becomes who you are. So rich young ruler had been keeping the law from his youth up, so he thought, but it wasn't really who he was. So he walked away sorrowfully. Can you imagine? He w Ellen White makes his comment on this issue. If he would have sold what he had and came with Jesus, remember Jesus was getting the disciples together, right? This would have been one of his disciples. This one here would have been the one that he would have taken. Can you imagine how beautiful that illustration would have been that, hey, I gave up those things so I could do God's work. Yeah, come on in. Come on in. That's all right. So here's another example dealing with what we have lost. We cannot get, we, God has to fix it for us, okay? So now, knowing this, I'm going to move into the next phase, okay? And that is this. Jesus is on this earth, Okay? Now, Jesus is also, um, remember when he first started his ministry? He walks over to Herod's temple, and he goes into Herod's temple, and he's there. And they're selling these things inside the temple, right? And he says this, take these things out. Remember, he chases out the money changers. He takes these things out of my, but this is what I want you to remember. This, says, this is found in John, on John chapter 2. He says, take these things out of my father's house. Those words, Father's house. Now, who is Jesus' father? God. So, if he's saying his Father's house, is he talking about his father's Joseph? Who is he talking about? The Heavenly Father. So, he's saying he's using that illustration of that sanctuary there being God's house. Okay? Now, listen to the next thing. Jesus is about ready to leave. We talked about this. This is, this is, this is a famous verse. You find this in the 14th chapter of John. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. You see? What Jesus is telling you is this. The sanctuary is God's house. Now you'll find in, um, in the book of Jeremiah 17, it says this, that God is in His glorious high throne from the beginning in heaven. You see? The sanctuary has existed through eternity. And ah, but wait a second. The sanctuary is designed to separate man from sin, right? True. But let me ask you a question. Has God ever had to change? Can you remember a time that God's changing? He doesn't change, does He? So what makes, what's so different now about God because sin has come in? Nothing. Think this through. If you were in heaven and you never had seen anything about sin at all, you've never experienced it, you don't know anything about it, there's no need for forgiveness, is there? There's no need for mercy either. But when sin came in, you saw more of God. You saw the sight of God, mercy, justice, forgiveness, judgment. You see these things about God. You see God never changed. So you see here, this part here, the structure, that represents the Father's house. 
This part around it represents earth. So what we find taking place when, when sin came in, God now put into motion a plan to redeem man back. And it still involves what it involved in the beginning. Now let me give you another verse. This is found in Isaiah 66. Now, it says that from one new moon to the next, right? From one Sabbath to the next, shall all flesh do what? Come to worship before me. So let's now, let's think this through. Again, what changed about God? Do you know that when we get to heaven, we are told through this pen of inspiration that we will learn through how often in heaven? How often? Through eternity, right? We're going to learn through eternity. Now, what's, what do you think the angels? you think they automatically know everything? They also need to learn, don't they not? And so, think this through, guys. From one new moon to the next, from one Sabbath to the next. So, visualize the sanctuary. And we're going to go into more detail on this in the next, the next lesson. But visualize in the sanctuary is a place where God's house is. And on the Sabbath, everybody's going to come and worship before God. That's what took place prior to sin. Everything would, God would take time to teach. That doesn't change either. What I'm trying to share with you is this. The sanctuary is important because that's God's house. I'm going to go another step further. You find in the book of Corinthians, chapters 3, verse 16, I believe. 3.16. And second, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19. And also 2 Corinthians 13.5. I like to bring these three out. There's more that talk about this, but these three are very special because it says that you are a temple. Okay? That's nice. You are a temple. What did he say in Exodus 25.8 again? Make me a sanctuary. Why? So I can dwell. All right. Now Ezekiel chapter 28. That chapter is a very important chapter for you to understand because that chapter refers to Lucifer. And it refers to how he was created and what he was like. Okay? Here we have Lu Lucifer who was created to be a sanctuary as well. What I'm trying to get at is this. The sanctuary is so important because it is the house of God. And you are the house of God. And I am the house of God. You see why that's so important? The subject is very important. Not to mention that I just read to you earlier that, go ahead and come on in. Ellen White says this, that you and I should know for ourselves about what our high priest is doing right now in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, there's a couple more things I want to get through. Our time's nearly up for this session. Um, but you go ahead and come and have a seat if you like to. Okay, if you have any question about there being a heavenly sanctuary... I'm going, to, I'm going to try to make, bring your uh, mind at rest, okay? Now, first of all, you're going to find out that John describes a heavenly sanctuary in the Bible. He describes the rooms. He describes the furniture. That's John describing the sanctuary. So there should not be any doubt in your mind that there's a heavenly sanctuary, okay? Now, you'll also notice a revelation that talks about the sanctuary. In fact, there's going to come a time that seven plagues are going to fall upon this earth. And it refers to out of the temple of heaven flies an angel toward this earth. Where did I say it came from? Out of the temple of heaven. You see my point? There is a heavenly sanctuary. And it's still there today because the plagues have not fallen. You see my point? Out of the temple of heaven flies an angel and pours his plague upon the earth. You see? His vial upon the earth. 
heavenly sanctuary does exist. Do you realize that it says in Psalms 102:19, it says this, that God is in his heavenly sanctuary and he looks down and he beholds the earth. So where's the sanctuary at? Up in heaven. Hebrews, oh, Hebrews is a wonderful chapter, wonderful book, I should say. You read through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews goes in depth, and it says this. It starts making a comparison with the one that Moses built and the one in heaven. Do you see? It's not the same one. There are two. Come on in. So we have two that are described in the... We have the heavenly sanctuary, and we have the earthly sanctuaries. That's all right. There's one verse found in, in the book of Exodus, chapters 15, verse 17. Exodus 15, 17 is the time when they were coming out of Egypt. This is when they came across the Red Sea. They're there at the Red Sea, and then at, on both sides of them are, are mountains, and right in front of them is the Red Sea. And then you find that um, the army is coming back to take them back to Egypt. Okay, God led them, by the way. God led them, don't, come on in, you're fine, just come on in. God led them from Egypt, and he, he was leading them to Canaan, okay? He was leading them there, and when they, so God led them to that point in the time, but the children of Israel were worried that they were going to be taken back uh, into captivity. God then does a miracle, and he brings them across the Red Sea. When he brings them across the Red Sea, do you remember what took place? The cloud lifts. And then the army runs through. God destroys the army, right? Verse 17 now comes into place. This is a song. It's called the Song of Moses. And in that song, it says this, that God, you have delivered us. It's talking about that. And like, God, you are in a sanctuary that thy hands have established. But this is why I bring this one out. Do you realize this is before they came to Mount Sinai? and before God gave them the plans to build the first earthly sanctuary. You see the sanctuary, oh, by the way, Garden of Eden. Do you realize in the Garden of Eden, they killed the, remember they, they put the skins of the animal on? The lamb that was slain from how far back? Foundation, Foundation of the world. Then you find also that, the, um, that after they came out of, um, uh, they, were, they were taken out of the Garden of Eden, there were, they were angels placed there to guard the Garden of Eden, Right? And they would bring their offering right up to there, and they would sacrifice the lamb. You see, lamb represented Christ, and they were doing the services long before they got down to the time they came out of Egypt. Because that was a great plan. The great plan to show us the separating that God's going to do from sin to man. Now, there are some important things to remember. Very important facts to remember. We just, I'm just going to review what we went through so far before we go into the next session. We are a temple. God says, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. The temples that we are referred to in the book of Corinthians, you and I are a place where God lives. Okay? And by the way, do you know that in the Ezekiel 28, when it talks about Lucifer being a sanctuary, he says he has defiled his sanctuaries and he is going to be brought to ashes. Did you know that? So here you have an example of what God's going to do with the sanctuary that is defiled. You are the temple of God. What you do in your body 
reflects who's in the most holy place of your temple. Now, there's a Bible text that we will get into in the next session that deals with um, Lucifer sitting on your throne, dealing with the sanctuary. And I'm going to bring that out in, in just a few minutes. But in recap, you are and I are, the word I am, we're sanctuaries. Sometimes my mind goes faster than my voice. But anyways, what I want to share with you is, what I want to get across to you is this. The sanctuary is a very important topic. And if you want to live in the last days and you want to be in the position God has given you to live in, then you need to understand it for yourself. It's not something that you can just say, well, I know about it. But here's the real thing. You have an opportunity to know the importance of the sanctuary, right, young man? But what about your neighbors? You see, the sheep that God has in the other folds, they're his people too. He's going to call them out. Remember the call we do in the third angel's message? That's just in front of us, right? The call is come out, right? They also need to know about the heavenly sanctuary. Because the verse that we read in the great controversy says this, that all of God's people need to know for themselves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we have just spent just this just moment of time, I pray, Lord, that the information that was given will help us all to understand the importance of your sanctuary, Lord. I just ask, Father, that each person here will not only know it for themselves, but get a burning desire to make sure somebody else knows about it. Open up the windows of heaven, Father, to let your Holy Spirit just fill each one of us here. But, Father, not just here in this lecture room, but all over this campus where the, the lectures are going on. What an important day this is on your wonderful Sabbath day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.